Welcome to the Water People Podcast. I'm Lauren Hill, and my co-host is Dave Rastovich. This episode is presented in partnership with Who Gives a Crap? They deliver recycled TP to your doorstep and donate half of their profits to help build toilets and improve sanitation for those in need. Today, we're in conversation with one of surfing's inaugural Olympians, two-time world champion, John Florence. Our podcast comes to you from the coastal land and waters of both the Bundjalung and Gubby Gubby nations. We'd like to acknowledge these traditional custodians and pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. We'd also like to extend that respect to all First Nations people this podcast ripples out toward. John Florence is pretty much widely understood as one of the most inspiring high-performance surfers today. Yeah, John's easily every grommet's favorite surfer. His technical skill is unrivaled. He can do the highest airs, the fastest searing turns, you know, charges huge waves, loves small waves, rides anything, well, anything in terms of kinds of surf. And he's also just a very creative person, you know, in a world where world champs have had to historically be singularly focused in order to win. John is a bit of an anomaly that way. Uh, He has so many other interests and I feel like that's probably what drew us towards him Mm. more than anything, Mm. you know, is that there is a, a water person element to John that, encapsulates so much more than surfing yeah yeah Mm. and so it's really interesting and it's also really impactful in my opinion I feel like as a kid that grew up in a very one-dimensional surfing world where you know in the 90s early 2000s it was just high performance shortboard surfing and everything else was ridiculed or not even acknowledged in our public conversations or media And now here you have John who has won by all measurements Mm. in the traditional competitive ways, but he also goes sailing and Mm. hangs out with 80-year-old surfing legends like (laughs) Joey Cabell and other members of the Hawaiian surfing community that are not necessarily just, you know, the sporting contest surfing people Mm, there's a there's a real thoughtfulness and curiosity about john that i find really compelling and interesting and that was definitely why i wanted to have him on the podcast yeah he and i uh, and a couple other folk went to a little remote spot in australia a year or so ago and um and it was a quiet place where you know we could just watch some wild ocean and sit in the strong wind and and be quiet and just observe the place. And, you know, he had a really strong pair of binoculars and was scanning the coast the whole time and and happy in his own skin in such a a quiet way, which was really refreshing Mm. coming from a pretty outward and extroverted uh, mould when it comes to pro surfers, Mm. you know, in order to get sponsors, in order to keep them, (laughs) in order to avoid a nine-to-five job, uh, a lot of professional surfers are pretty out there and, uh, you know, loud and big personalities. And often single-dimensional. Mm. And so that time with John was really wonderful because 
<laughs> one, we got to slink off down the beach when we saw, you know, oh, four or five other surfers at one end of the beach. And we're like, oh, quick, let's hide from them and go down the other end of the beach. And he was just <laughs> up from, he was so up for that. And, and that's pretty much what I do at all times. So it was, that was really nice to, um, to experience that with John. And then just to see his absolute comfortability in the ocean tells a lot about someone you know like when we first met I could see so much in you Lauren in your surfing you know your relaxed stance your gentle shoulders your gentle hands and but this also very competent very skilled ability to to nose ride and and um, ride longboards and I think surfing is amazing that way where we get to learn about each other without speaking mm. we can see it in each other's stance you see it in the way people act in the water between waves on waves when they're getting pounded by waves <laughs> uh, when there isn't any waves there's a lot to learn from each other in that way which is really refreshing because it's non-verbal we live in a very verbal world and John is someone I feel that uh, really loves diving deep into uh, the ocean and all of her moods and all of the ways to be there. And just like he says, and I'll, I can um, back it up, he will stay in the water all day. And I've seen him do that in Hawaii all the time. But also when we went on this little trip, we were both just marathon surfing all day. Mm. And it was really wonderful to, mm. to see that kind of deep dive. And it, and it doesn't surprise me then that he also does that on land with other pursuits because mm. you see that in people surfing. You go, oh, yeah, that's how they would act, you know, in a restaurant or, oh, yeah, that's how they'd act with their friends or their relatives or whatever, you know, very insightful space to be in. And he's uh, an incredibly accomplished water person because of all of that water time. Mm. Yeah, it seems like he spends as much time in, around and on the water as maybe anyone in the world. So it felt like a real privilege to get to talk story with him a little bit and hear about some of his oceanic adventures outside of the surfing realm. And, um, yeah, what a real privilege. Yeah, I feel like his experience is really impactful also because of how much he is adored by the surfing world mm. and especially by kids who are coming up, growing into and out of this surfing world. And for them to see someone who's humble, very, very humble uh, and quite gentle and quiet mm. but masterful in the ocean yeah. and is interested and in diversifying his interests, yeah. which is really healthy. To hear about his beekeeping and food growing, growing food. Yeah. And yeah, that was, that was a really beautiful thing to know that his surfing is obviously first and foremost in his life, but there are all of these other interested and interesting ways that he's engaging with life mm. yeah the, there is a lot of wisdom there for such mm. a young person mm. and I feel like that can happen when you spend so much time in the ocean with your eyes and ears wide open you can really soak up a lot of perspective you know you get thrown like he was saying he loves big waves and that's probably the biggest teacher for him is going surfing in big waves and pivotal moments in big waves mm. you know that experience puts a lot of other things in daily life into perspective places them well and and I, I feel like the surfing world is really fortunate to have someone 
so idolized, be so humble and sweet and curious and um, as wonderful as John. John, we always begin these conversations with water people by asking about a time or experience after which you are never the same. Do you have a moment like this that you'd be willing to share? A single moment, I can't say like there's like one defining moment, but my life is like, I feel like has been built up by like a bunch of little moments that I can think back on. And a lot of them have been, I mean, mostly in the water. My life has been based around the ocean, but for the most part, like, I guess the ones that have like changed my outlook and or just made me like overly excited about just being with my friends and stuff have been in big waves. For some reason, the big wave stuff is always super meaningful. Like every time we have a big wave session, like whether we're paddling out, it's like, I don't know. There's just a feeling about it that uh, you can't, it's hard to match it with anything else in life. And yeah, so I have like a handful of sessions in big waves that here on the outer reefs, like where it's just my brothers and my friends and we're just like, oh my gosh, we're going out. And you, I can just see those sessions so clearly in my mind. Are they sessions that you have and then you come in and they last with you? Like they linger for a long time and you think back on them and there's moments within a session that just sort of stay with you or do they pass pretty quickly? No, they stay with me. Like it's kind of where like I get my confidence from. In big waves, I guess, whenever we have a big swell, I think back to those sessions when it was really fun and the whole setting was a really good energy. I kind of draw off of those experiences for like big waves. When when we have a big swell coming, I'm really nervous. Like I think about those ones and I get really excited about putting my gear together and getting Mm. our whole little crew together and figuring out where we're going to surf. I know for Lauren and I here, like she comes from Florida where they measure (laughs) the waves in like six inch increments and (laughs) a a bombing swell is head high. And, and I come from, you know, the East coast of Australia where we have a handful of bigger days a year, but certainly not as many as you all get in Hawaii. And, and when we talk about it, like, the peak moments for her are different than the peak moments for me, but kind of the the feeling for us after those moments is similar where you get, mm-hmm. you just said meaningful, you have like a meaningful moment, yeah, among the play. Yeah. And yeah. what do you mean by that? I just feel like that the those sessions are, it seems like the best ones are always the ones that kind of surprise you a little bit. And when I say meaningful, it's like a surprise, but you're so there in the moment. You're so like, just, I don't know. It's so hard to explain because I I think of sessions when like, you know, sometimes when I go out to pipe, for example, and the waves are really good, but you have this crowd and you have, there's a lot of different pressures going on there. And so you kind of get into like more of a competitive mindset or something along those lines. But when these other sessions happen and the waves are big and there's a lot of consequence in the line, like it, and you're with your friends and it wasn't really like expected, I guess. Mm. It's easier to fall into the moment and be in the moment and be there. Mm. I'm Mm. trying to explain it the best way. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, It's really, 
that's really the thing hard to explain. It is for everyone. <laughs> Which is why yeah. it's so good. I think that's an indicator of the power of something, you know, like when you can't wrap little words around a big feeling or a big moment is proof that it's yes. special, you know, it doesn't fit Definitely. easily. And I think that goes to a lot of sessions too. Like I, we, I have a lot of little sessions that are unexpected for me where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to jump in the water. It looks really nice out. And you jump out there and you end up having these sessions that are just so much fun. Like you're just enjoying it. <laughs> Every mm. bit of it. Mm. And those sessions, yeah, just become so meaningful. Mm. There's there's such a broad spectrum of feelings and approaches to wave riding. So many different sensations to explore. And I've experienced over my surfing life that I've explored and chased after different sensations. Um, I grew up really loving the subtlety of longboarding. And now I'm much mm. more interested in going faster. Um, I was really interested to know you know, your approach to surfing is often defined by speed, but which sensations are most compelling for you right now? Speed is, I, I love just going really, really fast on a wave. There's this wave right by my house right here. And it's, uh, you just take off when it's really big. It's kind of everything that I love about surfing. You take off on a, a wave that's pretty big, but it's an easy takeoff and you are on a small board and you just get going so fast. And there's not a lot of waves like that where you just can get in on such a small board, but then you're just up and going. And the feeling of doing like a big rail turn going that fast is, I don't know, I kick out of waves, like cracking up to myself, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how fast I was going. <laughs> <laughs> I get so excited. For me though, that's like, that's it right there. It's just like when you're being pressed into your board, like that going really fast, it's hard to beat that. All right. Well, I th I think I see a little bit of a thread through uh, a number of your pursuits, and and it sounds like speed is one of them, because yeah. sailing is obviously a big part of your life, and that is largely based around speed. And then yeah. flying too. Yeah, you 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 got your pilot's license when you were injured at some stage. No, I didn't end up getting it. I went pretty far down the class, and then I started surfing again and then yeah <laughs> and then, we can relate to that fast. yeah totally <laughs> yeah uh, but that would have been a sensation of speed yeah did you was that something Definitely. in that yeah yeah i think it's speed but the efficiencies of it too yeah which is what i love like it's the feeling of you know when you're flying like you're you're going fast and it's the efficiency of flying and then mm. when you're surfing it's for sure you know how it is when you have that right board that you know, you feel like the rail just really tracks well on a turn, mm. like where you're using your whole rail. Mm. That's like the feeling to me, like the efficiency of, of that is what I like put my mind to. Mm. And it's kind of the same with sailing too. Is like, I'm always thinking whenever we're sailing, I'm always thinking about like, okay, just like another half a knot, like, okay, like what, what can we do with the sails <laughs> here? What kind of angle are we at here? Like mm -hmm. always just kind of playing with it. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like um, I often refer to that as trimming the fat you know you're yeah. just like you're just trimming little pieces here and how do I get away with as little as possible to receive as much as I can yes exactly <laughs> and and like you know it's funny because in surfing like with boards I ride twin fins I've always ridden twin fins um Aquila Iper and I were doing twinnies on really blady little boards in Hawaii whenever I'd visit and it was pretty much always my approach to be on the edge of disaster. I liked being like right on that edge where 
a board is going to blow out at high speed, but it doesn't. And, <laughs> and his boards were uh, and are amazing at dancing that fine line. And then, and then with sailing, you know, I, I went on a little sail with a friend a couple of weeks ago in these little Hobies and uh, we got pitched in these waves <laughs> and uh, broke rudders, broke um, like the, the outrigger pieces and then I had to fix yeah. everything up and then figure out a way to get home. But that was one of those moments where it was right on that edge and we were pushing it <laughs> because it was fun and then things went pear-shaped and we fixed them and then we limped home. And uh, and anyway, all of that made me think about with you. Uh, I had a chat with Jack Johnson the other day and we were, we were chatting about sailing and he was talking about uh, a time where you all were on, I think it was on your boat, one of your bigger boats, and you had Joey Cabell on the boat yeah and for for people who aren't who aren't familiar with surfing history who are listening to this joey is a pretty serious elder in the surfing world you know like a bit of a monster of a waterman a great sailor great surfer and you know revered in the generations older than us and anyway he he was on your boat with you and jack was saying that he was pushing your boat further than what you were comfortable with. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because I, I thought yeah. it was pretty awesome. <laughs> so, like, I had just gotten the, the boat uh, not too long before that, and we had done a couple of outer island trips, but nothing really major. And it's a 48-foot catamaran, so, like, you can push them pretty hard and get going fast. And that was always my thought was, like, speed. I just want to go fast. Like, I want to – I just want to go really fast. And because just – or learning how to sail like on the Hobie cat, like you know how it is, like like you're saying, pushing that edge, like you always feel that edge and you're just going faster and faster. And so I want I was thinking of doing that with I wanted to do that with the big boat, but once things get bigger, it gets really nerd scary. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> pressure. Um but so that was a race. <laughs> that was a race that had come up and I was like, okay, yeah, let's do the race. And so we got an epic cruise, Jack. Uh, Joey Cabell, um, I think Kai, Kai Lenny was there. Like we had such a fun crew. Hmm. Um, but Joey, it was my first time ever like racing or anything like that. And so we're like going, I'm like, okay, we'll start with one reef in the main and just use the jib for like kind of coming across the east side. It's like a reach. And we're like going, we're doing like 10 or 12 knots and everything feels pretty good. And then Joey's kind of like standing there and he's like a little bit like, uh bothered looking <laughs> and you guys know eric and eric's like joey how's it going you all good and he's like he's like are we cruising or are we racing we we gotta get the main up we gotta get the main all the way up awesome. i was like okay okay like i guess so let's do it and then so we put the main all the way up and when we turn the corner you kind of fall off and go a little bit downwind towards Kauai, and the race is towards Kauai. it's like it's like a 120 mile race and we were just flying. We put the spinnaker up full mainsail and had like maybe like 30 knots of wind. And we were doing between 18 and 25 knots the entire way. <laughs> and Joey was just loading the spinnaker up so much. I'm standing on the back corner of the boat when he was driving and the mast is just like flexing at the top. And I'm just like waiting for something to happen. Like for something just to explode. Cause we were just, he would load the, it was, it's pretty amazing. Like how well, I mean, he's, 80 years old and he's sitting there at the helm of the boat and reading these lines like there's crossing the Kauai channel there's like there's pretty big lumps in the ocean out there especially when it's windy like that and he's driving the boat up and then just 
peeling off and dropping down these waves going 25 knots and just all by feel just loading the boat up and i'm just like oh my gosh this is so gnarly like it's terrifying but to see him just double-handed on the wheel just driving the boat like that was it was a pretty incredible experience i bet and so did you just did you say he's 80 yes so he's 80 and he's scaring like 20 year olds (laughs) i was terrified that's so great as two people who love speed and really pursue the sensation of speed for you is it about presence or is it about disappearance like do you feel like you love it because you're in it fully or because it it um it kind of dissolves you into the experience no i think i'm in it fully like when you're i feel like when you're going fast kind of like what dave was saying earlier how when you're right on that edge you're riding that edge and when you're going fast it just feels like you're you're pushing yourself up to that edge and whether you're doing a big turn and air or just lately i've been having a lot of fun just doing getting a ton of speed down the line and just like a high line speed run and just coming down into something like doesn't matter what it is but that feeling is like oh like just Mm. having that much speed is is uh there's Mm. just the feeling about it Mm. yeah yeah i can definitely write that's actually the only move i have in my repertoire is that high line (laughs) (laughs) i'm trimmed it right down to i used to just have a a high line and a cutback and now i don't even do cutbacks it's just straight (laughs) just the high line yeah Uh, you're too young yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. that's pretty much it the point breaks only allow for that well i wanted to jump back um for a second john about Joey there because I've been really fortunate in my life where I've had older mentors you know like when I was mm-hmm. a when I was a kid I had a great family and everything but my dad was was pretty crazy and he was a very intense character and I was I was really lucky to have an older lifeguard friend and an older and even older surfboard shaper from Burley Heads on the Goldie take me under their wing Mm-hmm. And then it really, for me, that experience really taught me the value in seeking out perspective from older people. So just multi-generational experience, you yeah. know, like being able to learn a lot and not have to reinvent the wheel with every interest that I have, you know, just pursue some of these older characters or just more experienced people to to help along the way. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was curious about that, like what role has, you know, older surfers or older sailors or older people in your life played have you got any people like that that you feel are mentors definitely i think you know here on the north shore just so many amazing like surfers and stuff that i've looked up to my whole life and that have really like helped me along the way you know from a good friend of ours pete johnson to john paisel um Mm. who you know just been family friends forever and then to people like joey cabell who like for me, like talking to him and asking questions was always so interesting to me because I've found such like a love for sailing too. And a love for so many different parts of the ocean that it's kind of become more than competing in a way. Like, so being a part of the tour and competing and being there, it's really hard to find a a balance of what you're doing. Cause like in order to be there and doing it, I feel like you have to be there full on your Mm. mindset everything has to be committed to it and if you're not it's not very fun and so i've i've had in the past had trouble balancing that of like i really want to go sailing and go search for good waves and just have fun and learn and do different things but i also 
like doing the competing thing. It is fun. Like the mental side of it for me is really interesting, but I, it's, it's kind of a hard world to do both of those. They both take up so much time. So mm. Joey was someone though, who has done both in his life from competing to building his own boat and sailing it to Tahiti. And I think he still has like the speed record from Hawaii to Tahiti on that boat. Oh, wow. And yeah. Which is and what? I think the largest, what is that? I don't know. I, I got to, I don't know exactly. I couldn't say, mm. but fast, super fast. Mm. And hearing his stories of him and his friend, if you saw the boat, cause he still has it today and he goes out almost every day on it. Wow. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's crazy. But the boat is like, it's pretty much, it looks like a giant Hobie cat and it just has like this, like a 20 foot Hobie cat and the deck has this like little just covered area mm. and that's it. That's all, that's all your living space. Mm. And the stories of them just pulling into like passes in Tahiti and just scoring waves is incredible. Mm. Um, for me, that was just like, I want to do that so bad. And then, but just hearing his stories of how he would just, you know, would put energy into focus and competing for so many years and then and then started going off and doing these other things more often kind of helped me i guess see it like there's there's enough time to do both but maybe not completely at the same time yeah mm. yeah that's great well that's and that's the wisdom of of someone who's been there and lived that which is so great yeah you, you have access to that how did that come about how do you get to hang with someone like joey is there introductions through other older cats that are friends with you all um, happen? yeah, I, I can't remember exactly how I met Joey, but it was, it might've been just eating, eating dinner at the chart house. They own the chart house and, um, Waikiki down there. And so, um, I think that was how, and then just him and I getting to talking about sailing was really kind of what I think sparked a relationship there. And so that's, what's so cool about having these other things I feel like. And for me, especially like sailing has been such a big one as being able to make these connections with so many different people not just based completely around surfing or just competing or something it's it's a whole nother world of experiences and so yeah but i think that's how we got to really talking mm. Mm. speaking of that long lineage of you know looking to our elders i was excited to chat with you about duke iconic quaterman duke kanamoku mm -hmm. he expressed his dream to see surfing as an olympic sport uh, during his time at the 1912 Summer Olympics in Stockholm. And now more than 100 years later, you helped to bring his dream to fruition by surfing, but also by representing Hawaii at the Olympics. Um, you've written that Duke is still the most inspiring surfer in the world. And so what is it, what is it about Duke for you that continues to inspire? I just think the fact that Duke was able to... Uh, the time he was in and, and do the things that he did going to the Olympics and being an Olympic swimmer and winning gold medals and also being the surfer that we know of, of, of him as today, like, and going to Australia and kind of, you know, I think just the love of the sport and the love of the ocean is what is inspiring to me about it. And being here from Hawaii, you really get a feeling of how that kind of came to be, I guess, like it just life is around the ocean here, whether you're body surfing or you bodyboarding or surfing it doesn't really matter like you're just you're in the ocean all the time and for me that's what Duke kind of inspired and so like whether he was swimming the Olympics surfing and Waikiki or whatever he was doing it, it seemed like it was really based around the ocean and the water yeah we just watched a beautiful film about Duke called Waterman have you gotten to see it yet 
No, I haven't gone to see it. I heard it's really good though. It's really mm. beautiful and speaks so powerfully to all the racial tensions that he would have had to grapple yes. with, which I'd never really considered before. He was a radical in so many ways. And yeah, our, our culture is so indebted to Duke as someone who took surfing with such love and generosity around the world. Yeah, it's amazing. It yeah. really is. John, uh, I wanted to take a little bit of a left turn here because you're talking about making these connections and like meeting people in different circles and, you know, like how much fun it is getting to go down another path with people, be it through, you know, imagery and photography or sailing or foiling, whatever interests you may have at the time. But how do you do that when you have classic introvert qualities and you scored just like me, you scored low on the introvert test, probably, or high, whatever it was. <laughs> how do you how do you juggle that that line where you know, like, we can probably relate to each other? We're having quiet time and being lost in our own little worlds of interest is really attractive. How do you yeah dance that line, that edge? Because that's another one of those edges that we're talking about. It's sometimes it's really difficult, but sometimes it's, it's almost, I think that's the reason why I get into so many things is because it allowed, like you said, like that, having that little world of something to focus into. I love that feeling of just being lost in that little world and uh, almost an excuse to just shut everything out and just say, <laughs> nope, I'm doing this right now. And I'm learning this and mm. I'm figuring it out. But yeah. I also like meaningful conversations with people like, more about the specifics and and depth about certain things, whether it be surfing or farming or sailing or whatever it is, bees, or I get really interested in that. And I get really curious. Um, It's just the small talk with a lot of different people at once is like Mm. where it gets really hard for me. And it sometimes is super difficult because the tour is where I spend a lot of my life in the last few years. And it's, not a very introverted world Mm. it's so there's so much uh stimulus like activity going on and stuff so if i don't find like the right kind of routine and right balance with it i get exhausted Mm. quickly Mm. and kind of burnt out on the whole thing and so i'm still trying to figure it out what the right balance for me is and kind of how much i do let myself focus into things and sometimes i get a little lost um (laughs) in focusing on those things where I'm like, oh, wait, I kind of neglect other things in my life. Mm. Um, so trying to figure out that balance. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's a constant sort of push and pull there with that. And I think the the interests like bees, you know, when we were um, hanging out whenever that was last year or whenever down south and rapping out about bees and just you know, the excitement of learning about that living world um, was really obvious in you. And I was curious to just check in and see where that interest is for you now and if you still got your hives and if you've got any food growing or or any animals or if if that's, you know, a phase that came and went. Um, Yeah, no, it's a huge interest for me now. And um, I'm really stoked because my wife has gotten really, really into it too, as of late. And so we've both been, or she's been, I've been surfing a lot. (laughs) She's been doing a lot of the hard work, (laughs) but I still love it just as much. And it's so interesting to me. Like now we have six hives and just from catching our hives that split, 
And so they'll split and somehow we I've been lucky at seeing where the hive split to in a tree and being able to catch them. And so it's pretty amazing. Now we have six hives and we still have our friend, we have some friends from the West side that help us with the bees every now and again. And so every time they come, I try to be there and just really learn, absorb as much as I can, mm. even if it's something they've told me 10 times over, but I just want to like, I just want to get it. Cause it's, it's such an interesting microcosm. I feel like the, the beehive, <laughs> mm. it's crazy to me. And so I've been really enjoying learning that. And then we've been growing a bit of food. Like right now we have tons of bananas. Our bananas have just been going off. We have too much. <laughs> it's crazy. And then we've got all of our, a bunch of citrus put in. And then we have a pretty nice veggie bed, some eggplant, a lot of eggplant, onions, beets, tomatoes, all that. Mm. Um, mm. And that's pretty fun. It's just cool to, I feel like the, our piece of land in the garden in a sense is like life in a smaller area. Like there's just, sometimes we have the, like we have been having pigs a lot lately and mm. Lauren, my wife uh, is super into flowers. So she's been doing these huge flower beds and the pigs will just come in and destroy, <laughs> like just oh, uproot no. everything. And it just, it's like this, whole, it's just like, damn it. Like you feel so bad about it. You're just like, Oh, put so much work into that. But then, and just accept it, learn from it, adjust, and then move on. And so mm -hmm. like, we've just been over time over the last year, just little adjustments here and there. And so like, they were tearing up the veggie beds. And so I put this little like metal fence around the whole thing. And then, so now they've not been going there and now they're going to the flower beds. And so now we'll probably make an adjustment there. <laughs> oh man. But You're cool have a learning compound. and adjusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, um, I, I find it really interesting too, when, like we're in very fortunate positions where we we have the resources to go and buy food and we could go to restaurants and eat food that's prepared by other people and all of that. But we're pursuing those interests of growing and cultivating uh, or harvesting honey, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we're in the similar state now, like we have a lot of food growing and uh, are sharing it with lots of people. And, and I'm curious, like, are there many other people your age there doing that? Are you on your own in that way? Or are there have you got like a, a community of like-minded people with those interests? There's definitely a community of like-minded people. Um, like my good friend Kona Johnson is Jack's nephew. Mm. He's super into it too. And then Jack has the whole Kakula Foundation going and they have started a really cool farm down in Hollywood. But there's definitely a community for it. But as far as like in the main like surfing part of my life, like my surfing friends, like my brothers and stuff, I would, I'd say I'm a little bit alone in that one. Mm. <laughs> just in like spending so much time up there. Everyone else is just so surf, surf, surf. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm like that, but I like to go do other things as well mm. when mm. I have the time. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the really fascinating and really healthy balancing acts that we can have with a deeply watery and, and ocean-centric life. It feels kind of like it's a good idea to balance it out with some terrestrial time as well, you know, being in the soil Definitely. and all yeah. of that. And it also it kind of brings me back to that area before that we were talking about and mentors and just being with others because I feel like at this time, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids are, are pretty stressed. There's a lot of anxiety 
you know, there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of very stressed younger people in the world and, you know, it's pretty solid evidence to show that getting our hands in the soil, connecting with mycelial networks, you know, earthing ourselves in that um, little microcosm, like you say, that that is so healthy for us and that that balance between, say, the human world and the tech world, mm-hmm. like we're doing yeah. right now, yeah. but, then all, but also diving into the non-human world, be it through being in the wide ocean or deep in a garden or a forest or something, that they're really necessary things right now. Like that is a pretty smart way to navigate the crazy world we're in at the moment. Do you have those kind of thoughts? Are you thinking when you say microcosm, do you then zoom out and look big picture and see how that fits into the bigger story at all? Definitely. I think that I think that being out of nature for me is really everything. It's the thing that I think will get people to want to help like protect it because you have that experience of being out in it and finding a love for it and seeing how beautiful it is because it's like a a frequency or some sort of when you're like like you're saying in the garden or you're out in the ocean and you're kind of just by yourself. It seems like everything calms down, your heart rate calms down, your breathing gets like a little stronger. Everything just gets a little slower in a sense. And I think if you talk to anyone, if they're stressed and they go for a walk outside, you know, for example, they're going to come back and they're going to feel better. And I think just all around, if people, more people have these experiences and get out there and they just feel nature for what it is, they're going to feel better and they're going to want to protect it. And I just, I don't know, for me, I, I spend so much of my life in it and it's hard to convey to other people who Maybe, you know, maybe some people don't have as much of an opportunity. I'm, and I'm very lucky and you guys are lucky of where we live and kind of what we're able to do every single day. Mm. So it's kind of, I guess it's kind of a hard one to like tell everyone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's obvious like the benefits, you know, like I, I feel like the surfing world, especially like the high performance or the sort of the corporate surfing world or the the professional surfing world is full of really high highs, but then also some pretty deep lows that don't really get yes. spoken about much, you know, like definitely mental health and just the, the plunge that happens, especially for surfers who have reached, you know, real heights in um, sporting achievements, like people who have won world titles and then mm-hmm. you, you speak to them about, oh, and which is something I've always had a real interest in is that moment after you've attained that goal, you know, like how did it feel to win a world title and then wake up the next day or start the next year and realise, oh, oh, I've done it. Like now what? Yeah. Can we stop you know, that? How was that yeah, for you, so John? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that it's, it's exactly what you just said. Like for me, it was like I won my first world title and I was just kind of like in shock almost. And I was like, I think I maybe had a beer down at the beach and then I just wanted to go back to our house and go surf in front of the house. <laughs> so <we're> like... <laughs> we like rushed back and then I just went surfing with my friend Kieran just in front of our house. And I was, that was like what my mind went to doing, you know? And, and so like, I, I wasn't thinking about it much. And, 
but it was so funny because a week after it was like like you said the lowest lows like you go from the highest high to the lowest low of like okay i've accomplished this big thing yeah and, and now what mm. and for me i had like this couple week period of like feeling just super down and not any particular reason but just kind of like a little bit lost i guess and then the, the next year for me i i kind of I don't know what happened, but I like fell into a good routine of competing and stuff. And, and I won again. And then, and then the low was even lower though. Oh, and wow. I feel like, yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And I think at that point I was like, okay, I've done it twice. Like you can do it three times. You can do it four times, five times. Like what's the point? Why am I doing this? And I think it, it all goes back to that deeper kind of why of why you're doing it. And, so I've kind of been on this path the last few years of trying to figure that out along with like going through these injuries and feeling like, where do I want to be right now? Sailing or surfing or, and it's just been this like mix up of that, that like that super high kind of sent me into this like different just thought pattern in life. But I think mm. it was really good because it was something I definitely needed to kind of go through and work through. Mm. Um, mm. And then more. Yeah. And so it just, trying to figure that out through my life but it's i think now i'm kind of coming to a sense of like okay like if someone were to ask me like why i'm competing or why i do it and it's just like i think it's just as simple as just saying it's just like i just love surfing and i want to just dedicate my life to it like i don't care if i have to wake up every morning at 5 a.m and i want to be the first one out and if i have to go to sleep at seven like i just want to be out in the water surfing and Mm. and i it's funny i went through these all these this last couple of years and injuries and all these things of like maybe it's this and maybe it's this and it just goes back to that super simple feeling of just like i think i just love doing this and mm. i think i just really enjoy it and so in the last couple of weeks i've been like really kind of just following into that thought process of it and i've been kind of enjoying it more than ever mm. yeah it's wonderful i was talking with jack the other day he was speaking about just kelly's love of surfing you know and people yeah. saying you know saying oh you know kelly's just like you know ultra ultra competitive and that's why he's uh -huh. won so much and he's you know achieved so much in surfing and jack was like ah yeah he is but but he just fucking loves surfing <laughs> like yeah. yeah you know and then he was jack was saying the same thing about yourself and a few others in the surfing circles and and i think we can't you know overlook that you know, because it's it's yeah. a it's a simple way to describe all of this, but but it is real. You know, like that that deep yeah love of it. I think, like for me, after I won my first world title, like uh, an explanation like like that for the why just seemed way too simple. Mm. <laughs> like, there's no way it could be that. It mm -hmm. has to be this deep, complex thing. <laughs> and, uh, often often the, yeah. si the simplest things, you know, unearth all of these really complex, intricate feelings. I just am thinking of the old and ancient Hawaiians and how the Hawaiians came up with this incredible, intricate culture of surfing. And because yeah. they loved it because it was fun and it it ended up being sport and it was also art and it was connection and it was community and it was play and it was spirituality and it was all of these things and they you know shaped their land culture to some degree around riding waves and yeah I feel like when you say I just love it I I think of 
the, the people who have been, you know, who were riding waves hundreds mm. or thousands of years before us who were feeling the same. Like, why, why do we build a culture around this wave sliding yeah. thing? It's so fun. Mm. It's just so fun. And there's, uh, I don't know, there's just so much to it. Apologies for the interruption, but we'd like to take a moment to recognize the generous folks who help make this podcast possible. Two billion people around the world live without access to a toilet. That means lots of people head to their local beach or riverbank to do their business, which, when you're talking about two billion poos or more a day, doesn't make for healthy waterways or communities. My explorations in activism over the years made me feel like I had to be either leading campaigns or taking part in radical initiatives of some sort to be doing something in the world. Though now, especially at this time where many of us are staying home and localising, it feels really important to look at our daily decisions and you don't get more daily than making a dirt. And that's where Who Gives a Crap comes in. They are a B Corp that believes that access to a toilet is a basic human right and they donate 50% of profits to providing proper sanitation to those in need. And that, to me, feels like a great form of everyday activism. 27,000 trees are cut down every day to make toilet paper. We support Who Gives a Crap because they make toilet paper from recycled textbooks or bamboo and plastic-free packaging, so we all have a better option than chopping down trees to wipe our bums. We can all make a difference with as little as our toilet paper budget. Head to whogivesacrap.org and use the coupon code WATERPEOPLE to get 10 bucks off your first subscription. That's $10 off your first subscription purchase at whogivesacrap.org with coupon code WATERPEOPLE. Thanks to Gary McNeil Concepts, who put together Cosmic Boards for Cosmic People. Gaz's boards combine recycled and plant-based materials that are built to last without sacrificing performance. To learn more, head to garymcnealconcepts.com. John, we uh, so we have a garden system on the land here that has we sort of stumbled into it, becoming like a mini version of sort of uh, Hawaiian food growing system, the ahapua'a uh, uh-huh. style. And yeah. uh, are you familiar with that term? Yeah, the ahapua'as are like yeah. the kind of uh, zoning, right? Yeah, yeah. And the water, Perf- like sort of controlling the yeah. water to an extent or guiding the water down through yeah. the valleys. Yeah, working with water. Yeah. And um, yeah. Against it, exactly. Slowing it down. Growing, yeah. And so... Yeah, it's- just, Here we have the signs. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's like it's Ahopua and then the name of that area, and it's per stream mm, along the mountains. Mm. So as you're going along the road, you'll see them, the little historical Ahopua signs. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. So they like mm. defined it by the streams along yep. the coast. Yeah. Awesome. That's inter- That's such a different way of relating to land, isn't it? Defining it by how water moves through it. Mm. Like, yeah. As people, as people who are, you know, live our lives around water, it always makes me think about like, how would we live differently if we were shaping our lives around doing service to water or caring mm. for water? Mm. And that was getting to yeah. the point, Davey, mm. how like the system of growing that the ancient Hawaiians developed was really all about how do we work with water instead of working against water? 
Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, I cut you off there, but you no, were no. saying that you guys have kind of set your system up like that, huh? Yeah. So it's, um, so in the last year or so, because of the lack of travel and everything, it's been this awesome uh, opportunity for us to really dive into growing and growing enough for the neighboring families and the the two of us families living on this land. And so, yeah, they're just these big beds and then these little footpaths in between that just happen to fill up with water because we didn't dig the drains right on the end. And, oh, that's funny. Um, but what it did was it stalled the water from flowing away and it gave us nine months of growing food without ever needing to water the garden at all. And Really? Yeah, and so now we're in November and we've done probably four watering sessions um, in the last month, which is this is our like bushfire season and everything. Yeah. And so we've just been tripping out on that because uh, essentially what we wanted to create was like a surfer's garden, basically the laziest garden you could possibly have <laughs> so that whenever the surf's good, we can split yeah. or, you know, you can go on adventures up and down the coast. And so it's really worked. Like it's really, really worked. And, and so where does the water come from in the first, like rain and stuff? Yeah, so, yep, so rain and then I have a header tank, like a tank that captures water just higher than it and then that gravity feeds down if we need to water. But essentially wow. it was just coming from uh, rain and then just being stored. Like we get a couple of metres of rain every year. We get a lot of rain here. Yeah. So that's not so much of a problem. And one of the neat things about that was realising how – surfing you know the the popularity and proliferation of surfing in hawaii it, it feels like that was deeply linked to the ability to grow so much food that you felt safe you had so much abundance that you could have things like the makahiki festival every three months yeah, every every year you have those three months where everyone yeah. surfs and doesn't fight doesn't work it's for sport and play and and all of that and you can only do those things. You can only surf so much if you have your food sorted. And that seems yeah. to be how, how things are happening yeah. in Hawaii. And that seems for us um, now what we've been able to do here this year and that it's created like a sense of success that I've never felt in my life. So I've had a very fortunate life of being able to have adventure after adventure and travel and be very, very spoiled with surfing as a life. And I've been very happy and grateful for that. But growing in this way this year and being able to gift the food to so many people and to feed our little boy and other kids and to fit that into a surfing life has felt like the most successful feeling of my life, like literally just success. And That's uh, so awesome. And and it's it's really exciting. I just I just wanted to share that with you and see if there were any moments where you felt a similar thing with your growing and cultivating. I think the yeah, it's so cool to hear that because like the COVID in general, um, just being home for a whole year is something that I haven't done in a very long time since I was pretty young. Mm. And so just being home and putting a lot of time into the garden and. Um, my wife's just been learning to surf the past years and now she's good enough to where like we can go out front here. And so in the summertime, it's like, there's always a little fun windswell wave here in front of the house. And so we were just spending like every day in the garden and then run home and go surfing in front of the house. And it was cause our, our garden is on this piece of land that's actually just across the street. 
So we're really fortunate. We just ride bikes up there, mm. spend the whole day up there. And then mm. you're just so hot and dirty. You're just like, okay, let's go for a surf. And you're just surfing in the evening. And it's the coolest feeling in the world. I don't know. There, there's something about it. That's so rewarding. And especially when you learn all those little things that as you're going on and you see the improvement of everything as you, as you go, as you learn for me, it's just, it's such a rewarding feeling. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Dave, you're speaking to kind of an unconventional experience of feeling successful. John, I was wondering, you've obviously had heaps of success by cultural standards, like world titles and this illustrious surfing career already. I was wondering, have you had other experiences of success that maybe are less conventional? Like, is there an experience of success for you that's outside of surfing that you, that you feel? Yes, for sure. I think, and I think that a lot of that comes in sailing. Um, Mm. For me, like uh, whether we're going outer Island or going somewhere else, like crossing the ocean from one place to another is always such a, feels like just such an accomplishment and getting to the, comfort that I'm at now with it and feeling like I can kind of go from here to anywhere in the world that I, I want to go is, is a pretty cool feeling. And mm. it's just like, like we had a trip this, this summer coming back from Kauai. We had gone to Kauai for like 10 days and I just took my family. Um, and so when we were coming back, it, it, this is like the moment I feel like that kind of defines the whole thing though, is like, coming back and we we decided to leave at night because it's like a 19 hour trip home and I wanted to arrive in the daytime and so we leave at like five o'clock in the afternoon and you're sailing through the night and it's really windy and it's choppy crossing the channel and you're going upwind and for me I feel a lot of uh responsibility for everyone on the boat and it's like because I'm you know Eric's with us a lot of the time a lot of those trips and Eric's very knowledgeable but it's my boat and I, I have this responsibility over of making the right decisions. And so just setting up the sails, right. And then I was on my watch at like three in the morning and I'm like doing my little check around the boat, making sure everything's good. And it's just, we're just pounding upwind and I go out and I like look up and the whole mainsail just tore across the middle. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, no. And so but it's those moments where it's just like, it's like rough and you, you just kind of have to like take a deep breath and go, okay, this is the situation and I'm just going to deal with it how the best I can. And just doing, having those moments and being able to go through them slowly, mm-hmm. adjust, fix the situation, continue on and make it back. You, when you get back, you're just like, we made it. We made it back. <laughs> wow. So I don't know if those feel so rewarding to me. Mm. And I had one other time that just comes to mind. I was like, I went with just my wife and I on the boat. And it was our first time, just us two taking the boat to another island. And I thought the winds were going to be like 15 knots. And so we like left and it was nice. And I'm like, this is, this is great. This is super nice. We're going, we're crossing the channel. There go to when I, and we we're kind of going slow. So at like three o'clock in the day, we're about 20 miles off Lanai and the wind just went from 15 knots to 35 knots like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And Lauren, my wife's like starting to get a little bit sick. And so she's just laying down and I'm just by myself, like trying to manage the sails. And I'm like, okay, this isn't working. We're going to turn around. <laughs> and then, so we're like 
tack the boat around and it's just so so windy like when it's windy like that it's just kind of terrifying because mm-hmm. you're in the middle of the ocean it's just you and it's having big sails trying to manage that with one person is pretty scary but even though we like we did we turned around and sailed downwind back to oahu and it took the whole day and got in late at night and but that whole thing i just felt like accomplished i was like okay we made it back we're good we're safe we went and we came back we didn't make it but it's fine but it just says like an accomplishment of like okay i can definitely do that the next time like mm. So I've been finding that a lot within sailing, which, which I, I think is why, like, I have such a love towards it. Mm. Oh, that's so fantastic. And it's such a metaphor. I, I think the sailing experience is just so rich with lessons that are really easily translated to daily life moments, you know? Oh, definitely. Mm. Every time you go out on the water, it feels like that. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing ever goes according to plan. <laughs> yeah, well, if I love Yvonne Chouinard always says that. He says that, you know, it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. And <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I took out our buddy Damon, um, our friend Damon Gamo. He's a, he's a filmmaker and a, a really amazing mind, um, but he hasn't had a life w- within the ocean. And I took him out on our little Hobies a couple of weeks ago and... <laughs> Right as we were leaving the the river mouth, a, a crusty old Australian fisherman looked at him, and I'd already started sailing out of the river, and he looked down at Damon and it's just like, "Mate, if you take that thing out in the ocean, you're gonna die. Have a good time." And then and Damon's like, "Oh, thanks, thanks, mate." And then and then he actually ran into the jetty. <laughs> he turned the wrong way. Oh then, my god! And that's so was, funny. It's was amazing. Like, yeah, and and then. <laughs> We, we did. We had like a two-day trip where um, uh, I snapped a rudder, we got pitch-poled and flipped the boats and uh, and then a, a wind, just like you were saying, we were meant to have a southeast wind that would just blow us straight home back to the river and instead we got a west wind that pushes you out to sea. Oh, and my so- God. <laughs> and so we ended up limping, limping to shore and, and I was like, we're not taking food. If we if we find some seaweed or some um, <laughs> uh, bush food in the dunes where we sleep, we can eat. But let's just not eat for a couple of days. <laughs> That's amazing. So we ended up limping in, and the whole time he had, he didn't tell me that the fisherman said that before we went out. But he said when we got back to shore, <laughs> the whole time. That's that so was epic. <laughs> <laughs> and just, so do you guys you take those like down the coast a little bit and camp and stuff and then yeah, bring them back yeah exactly oh that's so, so fun yeah so we we did uh in these little these little ones like we went from byron to sydney um 10 10 or 11 years ago and uh and you just come into all the little like that's like 780 k's or something it's a long long way and you just come into all the little nooks along the coast yeah. and tuck in and That's sleep a mission yeah it's really 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 fun and full of so many uh great insights you know i just feel like it's such a wow. uh, wonderful teacher to be out and 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 likewise feeling a responsibility for others and and yeah. that's that sense of um a sense of adventure and everything and wildness and freedom and all of that but also with some reasonableness in there you need to have some rational thoughts and you know like you've got to dance yes. that, dance that line well especially when you've got other people yeah under your your wing definitely 
for me, that the, the sense of freedom with sailing, for whatever reason, sailing and free, it just has this feeling of freedom. I don't know if it's because you're being pushed the, by the wind and you feel like it, you can just kind of keep going, but mm-hmm. that's always something that I've really felt with it. Do you feel like you are moving towards the ocean and moving towards those great feelings when you go out to sail or are you leaving the world What's that balance? Do you feel like you're going, get the fuck away from me, crazy human world, and you have, <laughs> you have to get out in your boat? Are you fleeing away from or are you running towards the ocean? No, I think it's more running towards. It's more this feeling of like I I just can't wait to get moving into this, like I guess, challenge or what, whatever it may be. Like Because I just know every time I go out, it's I learn so much from it and just the adventure of, getting somewhere to get to the other side or get back or whatever it is one from one point to another and have all that in between has always been something that keeps drawing me towards it Mm. Mm. all right well i think we've dorked out on sailing for enough now (laughs) i I could keep going but i can tell lauren's starting to look around the room not at all not at all john i I read that you um your favorite surf film is endless summer too and i i never (laughs) i never heard anyone else reference the sequel as a favorite can you tell us why why that movie uh and the summer too is just one of the ones that I watched growing up like mm. it was just I don't know we me and my brothers watched it literally every single night and just absolutely loved it <laughs> we loved the story just everything about it and so it's yeah just growing up it was one of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> mm, that's great I read this book earlier in the year it's called Tapaya Lauren found it and got it sent to us and it's about Tupaya, who's a Tahitian man who was with Captain Cook, who Mm. came through the Pacific and came to Australia. And his experience of being a traditional wayfinder, you know, Mm -hmm. Polynesian, a Tahitian priest and a a wayfinder, and then being on board the Endeavour, which is one of the big European tall ships, and and sailing through the Pacific, getting to New Zealand, coming to Australia. They went along the Barrier Reef. Crazy. Just crazy adventures. But the thing that's really interesting with his story is that experience of him leaving Tahiti and literally being with these pretty much alien species of these Europeans operating a completely different worldview, using completely different technology, and then landing in all these island cultures and these different locations and needing to interact with new cultures and it's a fascinating story of these I guess worlds mixing and these worldviews and approaches to to moving throughout the Pacific uh, in such different ways and um, it made me curious just now thinking about your experience in Hawaii there and that line of Indigenous wisdom and, you know, modern times and the reviving of Hawaiian culture that's been happening for decades now in Mm -hmm. Hawaii and language and wayfinding and the the voyaging society and all of that. What's your take on that? Is that something you're interested in? Is that something that's part of life there quite consistently, that that revitalization? For me, I think it's I'm I'm inspired by it for sure. And I think what Nainoa Thompson and those guys have 
been doing and have done in the in the recent years is incredible um for me though that's like one of the bigger inspirations just to see what they can do with mm. i guess keeping it so simple in a way you know i guess i don't know if it's simple but just with nothing like and knowing the ocean so well and knowing where you are and we on one of our uh, trip we did a few years ago we um eric got one of the hokulea handbooks and brought it with us and so just kind of flipping through that and getting an idea of how they kind of position themselves and how they use their wayfinding system. It's so interesting. And we did a trip from here to the Lion Islands. And so you're 500 miles from the closest land and you're just like in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, pretty much just in the middle and looking in both directions, just it is, it, it must've been the craziest thing to be able to know based off the stars, using the wind, the current, the cloud systems, everything basing on that and getting your way from Tahiti up to Hawaii and around the world at what, what they did a few years ago. So I just look at it and I'm in awe about mm. what, what those guys have done. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible. And that it's stretching out through the Pacific and lots of other nations have uh, recreated their double-hulled sailing and voyaging canoes. Yeah, it's, and I think it's great because it inspires mm. bringing culture back. I think it's so cool in that sense. It's such a good point of inspiration doing this thing that, I mean, people may have not even known was possible. Mm. Mm. Um, speaking of culture, I was curious to know if you feel like there's been a shift in surf culture or your community there in Hawaii these days compared to when you were a little grom if there have been any changes just sort of culturally that are more positive or maybe not so positive there, for example, like here in Australia, I've been joking with a lot of crew lately about how when I was a kid in the late 90s surfing anything other than a pointy nose thruster, you'd get tied up in the, the trees at the point breaks by the older guys and, and like, you know, ridiculed for doing something different. Whereas now, kids are just writing anything and are just so much more open-minded the world's so much more accepting of of difference now and it's really positive uh, have you noticed anything like that in hawaii do you feel like there's been changes like that culturally um yeah i would say so for sure i think it's like exactly what you said people being able to ride kind of whatever they want whenever they want and surfing in all different types of ways and it being respected whether and same goes for bodyboarding and body surfing, like all these different sports in the ocean, just being equally respected. It's an interesting change though. I think with social media, since I was younger, like when I was younger, social media wasn't the biggest thing. And now it seems like it's the biggest thing. So you have all these kids and I, I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing yet, mm. <laughs> but everyone's so wrapped up in trying to get their air or their turn for that day you know it's not like you're working on a project with someone or you're just surfing for the fun of it it's like every single piece of it is wrapped up for that social media aspect of it at least that's what it, you see a lot here and what's wrong with that do you think there's something wrong with that do you think that's no not, I, not that's what I'm saying. I don't know if there's something wrong with it or not just that it's hard for me to talk because i we film a lot mm. <laughs> But I, I um, specifically, though, does the experience of being watched change the way you approach riding waves? 
Definitely. For me, it's like I being watched, like I, if I'm not being filmed and I'm just surfing for fun, I will stand up on a wave and I'll double hand drag the entire wave all the way to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the same for all of us. We, we, we dance like someone's watching because someone's watching. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. And so that's why I just don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I, I think it's amazing in the sense that it allows a, a lot of opportunity for so many different types of surfers. Mm-hmm. I think that is incredible. Like, you don't have to go on the tour. You don't have to be in someone else's movies. Like you, you can be a surfer on your own terms kind of type mm. of thing, which I think is really kind of amazing mm. on that side of it. But the other side of it is like, it's just, yeah, someone's always watching. <laughs> mm. And for those of us who are introverts, who get our energy by introvert, I, for me, that kind of means... I feel most rested and rejuvenated when I'm by myself. <laughs> I find yeah. groups of people. And like you were saying before, small talk can be really exhausting and draining. So like for the introverts yeah. of us, I think it definitely is <laughs> a major drain to feel like, mm. you know, you're being observed or having to um, perform in some way. Yeah, exactly. And here mm. there's just, I feel like every time you go surfing, there's just always people filming and always stuff going on. And mm. I don't think it's bad or good. I just thought it was, it's just different than mm. when I was younger. I feel like when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, we were just surfing just to go surfing because we just wanted to go surfing the sandbar and just absolutely loved it. Not necessarily to go get a clip for Instagram or something like that. So yeah, it's just different. Mm. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely a fine line with it in in the same way where there is with the tools of technology now where it's like using a phone to connect with your friends or family or Mm -hmm. organise something is great, but then, you know, staring at the thing all the time is obviously not so great and trying to dance that line is tricky. Yeah, and sometimes I think maybe in, in a certain way kids looking for like validation through it is maybe not the healthiest thing whether yeah. it's surfing or anything else in life yeah i just yeah i'm uh, i'm curious to to just maybe uh help kids who are watching themselves surf all the time to feel okay about watching themselves and beating themselves up do you watch footage of yourself and go oh man like what am i do you do you ever cringe when you see a, a shot of yourself and go god what am I thinking? Look at that stance oh, or whatever. Does that happen? Definitely, just, yeah. It does? Yeah. That You know, it, yeah. it always feels so much better than it looks. Or yeah. That's what I was going to say. I have so many waves where I'm like, that felt really cool. And then I watch the clip, I'm like, that wasn't it. That wasn't that one. <laughs> it was like, denied the end. Um, but, yeah, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> okay, that's good. Well, I think that's a good thing for kids to hear because – I remember when I was a little grom, I was with Brendan Margis and Margot, who was like one of the first free surfers, you know, who who never competed and just a, a freakishly great surfer, but a very different style. I don't know if you've watched pictures of him surfing, but yes, like, yeah, very, yeah, amazing surfer, but very different to everyone else. And when <laughs> this is showing how old I am, when someone came along with a video camera and videoed some surfing one day and then hooked it up to a television set in a caravan park and showed us the footage of that day for the first time ever 
Brendan and Oki were there and Luke Egan and they were all just like, oh, oh, cringing. <laughs> like they were cringing watching themselves. And oh, I was like, that's so funny. I think I was 14 and they're my heroes and I'm watching them just beat themselves up over how they held their arm or their their feet were too close together or whatever, you know. And then I saw a picture of myself and I did exactly the same. I, I probably cried myself to sleep that night when I went to bed. <laughs> and it was just intense. It was an intense thing to see. And, and so anyway, it, it does make me think that it's really good for, for all of us who might be looked at as, you know, a, a surfer to... I don't know, admire or respect or whatever, that we we all actually beat ourselves up to and can be silly Definitely. and harsh, you know, harsh on ourselves and, and to lighten it up a little bit and not take it too seriously is really important because there are a lot, there yeah. is a lot of stressed kids, a lot of stressed people who are feeling anxious because of seeing themselves all the time. Yes. John, what is what does the next six months look like for you? What are you What are you dreaming up? Well, <laughs> my mind has been going all over the place, and it's been really funny. But I've been going back and forth from I'm not doing the tour, I'm going sailing around the world to I'm doing the tour. And but lately, <laughs> I've just been <laughs> kind of on this mindset of like just loving surfing altogether, and I'm pretty excited to kind of start like getting ready for the tour next year and go into it with that mindset. I feel like that's a really fun mindset to go into it with and just really just enjoy it and kind of see how that goes. Mm. That's why I like competing because it's like a big giant test every time. Like you just play with these little, you finally tune things, change your mindset a little bit and see how it goes. And Mm. it's good. A good testing ground. Mm. You've spoken so much about how much you love surfing, which is so beautiful. But does the does the um, the game of competitive surfing or like the pressure of making your livelihood out of surfing does it ever feel complicated for you? Does it ever complicate the surfing experience for you? Definitely, it definitely does. Like my experience this last year was super complicated and hard for me to wrap my mind around because I. I don't know if I necessarily wanted to be there at the time. And in the last couple of years, it's kind of been the feeling, but I, I think that it's just, I was blaming surfing in a way for making me feel bad. I, I don't know. It was just like, I'm doing it too much and I'm competing too much and I don't really want to be here competing, but it, I think there was a lot of other things going on in my life that might've caused that. And I didn't really like open up to those things at the same time. So now I'm kind of being trying to be a little more open and be a little more just like, okay, no. Even when I'm super down, I surf like the waves are average. I'll surf like six hours. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> I just, I think I just, I'm just accepting that I just absolutely love being in the water and it's hard to get me out of the water. And so I'm just kind of going into this year like that. Like I like the challenge of training and getting ready for the events. And for me, it's a, it's quite a challenge to, get into the competitive mode because like I just like free surfing and going really fast on the line and not thinking and being able to surf for five hours and so four and a half hours of my session might be really bad but I'll get half an hour of good waves (laughs) 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 and in a contest it's not like that so I enjoy that challenge for me it's it's hard to kind of get into that mindset and figure out what routine is going to help me to get there Mm. and what process helps me get into that mindset so that's definitely what I enjoy about it and what I'm looking forward to. 
Thanks to John for taking an hour out of his surf day to talk story with us. Many thanks to our sound engineer and editor, Shannon Soul Carroll. The podcast soundtracks are also composed by Shannon with additional music by Band of Frequencies. On behalf of myself, Lauren Hill, and my partner in rhyme, Dave Rastovich, thanks for making the time to listen with us today. If you have a spare moment, please consider leaving a review of the podcast or sharing an episode with a friend. Both help us to find the best stories from our global community of water people. We'll be continuing today's conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcast. You can find every episode and some extras on our website, waterpeoplepodcast.com. Thank you.